Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back at you with another episode. I know it's said it's been a while. <laughs> I promised that I would try and get back to an every two week cycle, but you know what happened? I got sick in January. I got, um, now according to tests, I didn't have COVID and I didn't have the flu, but I tell you what, from December 31st all the way through about January 28th, I was maybe, I was sick for most of that time. Uh, with the exception of one weekend and that happened to be the weekend that I went, drove down to Tampa to watch my uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, unfortunately, they lost to the Rams, so they are not in the Super Bowl, which is going to be happening this coming up weekend on uh, February 13th. I can't wait for that game. I'm rooting for the Bengals to win. But that being said, I'm not here to talk about football. I'm here to talk about judo, and I'm here specifically to talk about the Paris Grand Slam, which happened over the weekend of... February 5th and 6th, and to help me break down the Paris Grand Slam, I have a special guest for you all. He's actually the second guest I ever had on this podcast nearly five years ago, and he's back. My guest to break down the Paris Grand Slam is Christian Castaneda. He is a resident of both Canada and the United States, but currently residing in Canada in British Columbia, if I got that right. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Christian Castaneda. Welcome back. Christian, welcome back to the Judo Chop Suey podcast. How are you doing today? Doing well. <clears throat> it's great to be back. Uh, I love to love judo, so I love to talk about judo, especially here. Yeah, it, it, especially you. Now you were my second guest of, of all, the second guest ever on the Judo Chop Suey podcast. The last time you were on was now, according to my notes, back around May of 2017. And for years, I've been saying, I got to get you back on. I got to get you back on. I, I we, we talked a little bit on, on Instagram via, via 
IM direct message. And I, I just, I had to commit to it. I had to say, look, come on to the podcast, watch the Paris grand slam. We're going to talk about this, but before we get on to the Paris grand slam, tell me what's been going on with you over the past almost five years. The last time you were on, you were a NICU. I don't think you're a NICU anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, <clears throat> I tested for showdown in, it was December 2019, right before uh, everything went down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got, I did the, did the kata and got my belt and uh, broke my hand. <laughs> that was fun. Did you really, how did, what, during yeah. the kata? No, I, oh, okay. it was the first class as a black belt. I broke my hand. So how did you manage a, that? I fractured a bone in my hand. Uh, it was a uh, spazzy green belt. How we were doing Nawaz and just freak accident. Oh, felt a that, pop and yeah. That's that's awful. Th- that, but it's that's healed awful. now. <laughs> oh, a few good. years later, you know. Yeah, how, but how it was long, it was not that bad. It how long did it take you to recover? Just a few yeah. months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was my- back. Uh, I practiced. I think for two weeks. I got the clear to go back to practice two weeks right before lockdown. Wow, so how, that how was not you- fun. How did you and your family uh, manage during during the pandemic? I mean, I know we're still yeah. under a pandemic still, but how how did you and your family manage? You you stay managed to stay healthy? You ever catch yeah. it? No, uh, I did. I caught what I assume is Omicron. Uh, okay, yeah, on Christmas, yeah. But yeah. you know, I I I got my got my vax, and I'm I was relatively mild for me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I, happy. I didn't I spread sick. it to anyone I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sick most of this past January. I mean, they, I got tested for the flu. I got tested for, for COVID. It, it both were negative. I, I don't know. It did, I didn't, I felt all right. I, I mean, I felt all right. I didn't, I didn't go to practice for most of January, but, uh, but I was definitely sick for, for most of the month. I'm fine now. Uh, it's part of the reason why I haven't had a, an episode release in, in a mm. month. I, I had, I had wanted to commit to doing, you know, every two weeks at least, but but I got sick and when I'm sick, I don't record because it just, my voice sounds wrong. And then I have to pause every five seconds to cough and stuff like that. It's just, it's just not, it's just not good for me. So how have you, have you managed to do any sort of training, any sort of, of skill upkeep during the pandemic at all? Now, I, I know you go back and forth between California and, and, um, and Canada, where have you been mostly during the pandemic? During the pandemic, uh, most mostly here in Canada. In Canada, Vancouver. okay. Yeah, you're in Vancouver, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I didn't go back for, I didn't go home for a year or year and a bit. So yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, training, we came back in July of last year. Okay. So that was uh that was fun to do, and then uh, I feel like. We had some restrictions again when things got bad with the Omicron wave uh, here in the in around Christmas time, but those have since uh, eased with the cases gone down. Yeah, so we're, we're back to practice, no problem. Good. Now, when you talk about practice, yeah. are you doing strictly judo? Or are you doing other things? Are you teaching no. now that you're a shodan? Are you are you still a student doing other things like Brazilian jiu jitsu or or maybe sambo or I don't know? I, you, you know whatever the case yeah. may be, what, what have you been doing? So I'd say it's mainly judo. Now I, I do have a class of my own. Uh, I'm nice. teaching Sambo once a week. Yeah. Cool. So cool. Uh, I get to be the, the only instructor. I get to have my own curriculum because I helped out uh, 
with beginners at the university club for judo, but it's nice to have my own, my own gig. Sure. Of course. Now, how, how did you get into Sambo? I've had uh, my original instructors here at the university for judo. Uh, one of them had been part of the Sambo club that was here in the 2000s and early and late nineties. Um, and his instructor, Vadim, uh, I've taken a class with before he still lives here in the city. And over, over the years, I've met a lot of uh, people from former Soviet Union or Eastern Bloc countries that have had Sambo experience. And I always ask them, show me something like, uh, and then back home, there's been people I've known as well, uh, who've learned from Victor Koga is, a, is an, another name. Yeah. Now, now, when you have learned some, I know very little about Sambo. I've seen it. I've, I've never had a formal lesson from, from any Sambist. When you teach Sambo, do you teach it with Russian names? Are the techniques in Russian? Or do you just use English terminology? Do you just refer to, to Judo's terminology? What do you, how do you teach Sambo in that regard? So, so I mostly teach beginners. Um, okay. But if I had, eventually I'll get them to use the Judo names because I feel like if they want to continue to be good at Sambo, they should probably do Judo. It's the closest that they can get. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm using English names so far just to get it in their head, um, yeah. but I'll transition to, to judo names as appropriate. I could use some of the, uh, the Russian names, but they're all, they're not that specific. Like, uh, what is it? A podvat, a podvat is not exactly like, uh, like so detailed, like a, a harai versus an ogaruma versus an osoto. A podvat is a podvat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That that's that's really interesting. Now, how do you like training in? Uh, I believe the uniform is called a, a kurtka. Yeah. A kurtka. How do you like that compared to your standard judo gi? I think it's just it's just different. Um, the the belt the belt placement I think is is interesting. It doesn't hit, sit so low on the hips. It's a little bit more in the middle. Um, but you know the it's basically a gi, and yeah. the shorts are fine. Uh, the shoes I feel like are a bit slippy. Because it's basically, it's not a sold shoe like you would have uh, with the wrestling shoe. It's you not. Actually, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I thought it was. It really, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's I like a, a suede sock almost, but a little bit a little bit more structured than, say, a suede sock. Yeah. So you can still pivot on the ball of your foot like you would for any turn throw. Wow. So you don't I, have to, I have no idea. You don't have to, you know, plant and turn like you would in a wrestling shoe because you can't, you can't pivot on the ball of your foot you can still do that in uh in a sambo shoe that that's fast all these years i i just assumed they were re- wearing wrestling shoes I, I had no clue wow yeah learn something new every day mm-hmm. that that's really cool so um now how about uh, the last time i spoke with you at least on air uh you were going to you were pursuing a college degree did, did you complete that where, where, yeah. where are you at in terms of your education yeah, so I <clears throat> I completed my my bachelor's degree. I got a bachelor's in uh, applied animal biology, and I well, that's done... fantastic. Congratulations! Yeah, that's that's thank great. you. It, what, University of Vancouver? University of British Columbia. British, British Columbia. Okay, that's yeah. right. So I'm looking for a job at the moment, uh, and doing you know life stuff. Like I just I've been struggling to import my vehicle uh, since I'm not a student anymore. 
it's it's time and that's a big process it's <laughs> there's a lot of red tape with that i didn't to, realize to bring yeah. your vehicle from from the united states to canada that's that's a problem yeah. uh it's uh it's taken me like weeks to i'm still not completely done with it i need to get it insured and, and stuff so but no yeah, I, not fun <laughs> i i can't rem- i can't remember do you have dual citizenship i do yeah you do okay i have do. three citizenships actually you do yeah. really uh, uh, Mexico is that right Mexico yeah that's right that's right because I I know your last name is is uh, is Latino um, mm-hmm. or at least it comes across that way to me I'm Puerto Rican I think you knew that though so yeah. that's why I can I could pick up on on that so are you fluent in Spanish I'm not fluent but uh, I'd say I, I speak broken Spanish I've gotten better over the years I, yeah I took I'm, some courses in it so yeah I, I'm the same way I'll, I'll speak Spanish with my family. Uh, because they they tend to all have the same types of conversations when I see them, so so I'm pretty comfortable with that. But they, and, you know, if I if I was dropped off and you know in Mexico, I could get by for sure. But but I don't I don't feel comfortable. It's it's uh, I have it. The problem is that I think in English when I speak Spanish. It's not it's right. not uh, that that's my biggest challenge. It's not I'm not completely fluent. So, well, great catching up with you. In regards to that, now I brought you on because we want to talk about uh, the Paris Grand Slam, which is one of the biggest events on the International Judo Federation World Tour. Um, before we get into that, what I want to get your opinion on some of the rule changes heading into uh, into this Olympic cycle. What are your thoughts on on really the changes as a whole? I think the changes as a whole, uh, they, they were for the better. Uh, you know, I think the, the backlash of banning a technique kind of took the, took the news of these rule changes. But if you really look back at them with, say, fresh eyes now that the controversy of the reverse Sanagi ban is kind of died down, I think you'll see that they're, they're good changes, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, you know, one thing that I didn't, I'm, I'm going to cover it now. One thing I didn't cover in my last episode, I, I completely blew over it, was the uniform changes. I don't know about mm-hmm. you. I thought the uniforms looked significantly larger. I, I didn't think a few centimeters here and there would be noticeable. But, but to me, the uniforms looked much larger. I, I don't know if you caught that, but... Um, yeah. Uh, so I thought it was funny. Uh, a friend of mine pointed it out uh, when I was watching the minus 60 uh, Ryuju had an Adidas ski. And I think it's just, it's really funny to see, uh, you know, the Japanese always wear, uh, their, I don't know, their Kusakura mm-hmm. or their, uh, uh, what's the other one? Mizuno. The, the volley, yeah, the volleyball one, Mizuno. They always wear those geese, but to see them in an Adidas ski was kind of, it was pretty funny. I think a lot of people's geese got called. So, yeah, I saw a saw lot, a lot of, of IJF patches. I, exactly. I, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I saw a lot of IJF patches. I know uh, Amadine Bouchard of France openly complained on the IJF's uh, Instagram page about the about the uniform changes. I thought it was really interesting to see some of the athletes uh, not only complain about the, the uniform issue, but also um you know, follow up on her post. I saw Fabio Basile of Italy um, make mention of something as well uh, on, you know, under her comments. It, it seems like the athletes, mm-hmm. this, 
I don't. Some people are suggesting that this is just a money grab by the by by the IJF to to make more money in selling geese. I don't know if that's the case, but uh, apparently, getting the geese properly measured was a problem for a lot of the athletes. One thing I noticed in the commentary booth, uh, I think the Neil second is Sheldon. Sheldon mentioned in yes. the, in one of the Japanese. It was a Japan versus Japan final in 57. You notice that the gi that one of the women was wearing, uh, he commented that it looked like she wore a size up to not get called. Yeah. It did look significantly bigger when he pointed that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting to see. I'm going to, I, I didn't pay too much attention to the grip fighting um, in these particular matches, I know I, I, in a general sense, I felt that the gripping between, uh, you know, last, well, between the Paris Grand Slam and, and, and the previous Grand Prix event, I thought the gripping was a, a bit more livelier. Um, but, but I, I would venture to guess that, that it's a lot easier for these athletes to grip uh, certain areas of the gi these days. Mm-hmm. I noticed uh, the, there were a couple, they are enforcing these new rules. Like I saw Shido Wazari's for posting on the elbows and the hands. Yep. Yeah. One thing I had a note for that was I watched a match. Uh, I forget who it was, but he landed on one hand and then there was sort of a pause and then he landed on the other. And they didn't call uh, a Wazari Shido. So it was kind of interesting that it, you know, if you land at the same time with both hands back or both elbows back for sure. That's a Shido Wazari. Yeah. Um, but if you land on one and then the guy keeps driving you and then you transition to the other, it's kind of a gray area. So, yeah, I, I must've missed that. So, so as you know, I typically watch the, uh, the, the, the final block of, of events, usually the, the, the gold medal matches and the bronze. There were some, Semi-final matches that I did watch on the first day, in particular with the the under sixty-six and the under seventy-three kilo divisions. But um, yeah, so I and and some of those things I I tend to miss because I'm 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 looking at other things. But I I did mm. not see that. I did notice that. Um, I did notice which I I like the rule change. I know some of the athletes uh complained about it when they initially announced it. The that weird. I, it's not even there's not even a technique name for it. I, I suppose you could call it Uchimara Sukashi, where where like yeah. they step over the, the 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 person attacking with with Uchimara and they get them on their back. Um, that they're not calling that a Wazari anymore. I did see some of that. Um, I see. I, I did see too, some yeah. of the refs. I saw the refs not call it. And in one of the matches, and I know we're going to talk about it later. I I've always maintained I've been maintaining since my last episode that okay, it won't score now, but consider it a skillful entry into Nawaza, and that's exactly what I saw in one of the matches. I'll have to figure out which one mm. it is, but um, I think it might have been the un- one of the under sixty kilo bronze medal matches. But um, but I do remember seeing that. So do you say it's a, a skillful entry into Nawaza? And and let me tell you, you know, you brought up the reverse Sayanagi ban. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I I trust that when they made these changes, it was for safety reasons. And given the given the past Grand Prix and the Grand Slam, you know, this Paris Grand Slam, Korea hasn't been impacted one bit by that change. I mean, they they've been 
they've been a force so far in the early going of, of 2022. They've been plenty of, uh, plenty of medal matches, plenty of top seven finishes. They, they look, they look like as strong as ever. So, um, you you know, I, I know that that's been debated, but like you said, it's been, it's died down quite a bit. I haven't really heard too many people complain about it anymore because really they're still winning. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me personally, you know, I, I was taught reverse Sanagi and it, it never worked for my game, but I definitely see the possibility for injury on, on it. I mean, yeah. you can be just dropped sort of on your head. And if you've watched highlights of uh, reverse Sanagi compilations, uh, you'll see that sometimes, you know, they'll go straight on their head and I can yeah. see that as a safety reason. And not sure. only that on a, on a left versus right situation, you know, with the right grip, if the if yeah. if the guy doesn't get let go, that becomes an Uday Garami throw, which which I think that's kind of the angle they were going for because if you have a throw that that's an arm lock and they throw, they're they're gonna be inclined to to ban that because other arm locking throws have already been banned. So I only let I've practiced that throw uh, uh, a number of times. But there's only been one guy that I've practiced it on, and there's I've only let one person practice it on me. I've never I've never seen anybody even attempt it in Rondori against me, um, and it not I just nobody's ever done it on me. I've never once seen anybody even attempt uh, reverse Sanagi in any competition I've seen, like in mm. person. Um, no clinic that I've been to, no open mat that I've been to. I've, I've never actually seen it. It's, it's been a technique that I've really only seen at the higher levels of competition. I'm sure it's happened at, at, at the, you know, USA national USA judo nationals and things like in higher, in higher level events. I don't doubt it. I'm just saying in my own experience, I've never actually seen anybody pull it off. Not, not with my own eyes in front of me. Have have you have you do do you know anybody that has built a game around reverse Sayanagi? I don't know about built a, a game around it, but you know I've known people that had it in their repertoire. Um, you have okay, I, yeah. So I don't think that they're that they're you know devastated over this ban, but it was more uh, you know if they get caught in get in left and right, it's an it's a good attack. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about leg grabs these days? You still feel strongly about the. Uh, I do. You do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that's why, uh, you know, Sambo speaks Sambo. to me. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, to me, Sambo kind of exists as a, what judo should be or what judo was and what it judo, lives sure. on in Sambo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I hear you. I, I think I've softened my stance a little bit over the years. I, I'm, I'm okay with the ban at, uh, at the IJF levels, but, um, but I think I, I you know, I, I've said it many times before, national levels and below, I, I think they should be there. Um, I, I I think it's I think they're good techniques, especially other techniques like I used to love doing traditional katagruma. You know, you drop underneath a person, you 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 know, and you throw them with that with that leg, you know, you grab that leg and you you know tilt them over. And and I, I used to know a couple of people that had an excellent tegaruma. Um yeah, that one's sad to to have yeah. gone. Yeah, that was such a big throw. Yeah, it, it it really was, and I I feel like I've because um, one of my best throws is Osotogari, and it, I feel like ever since that, ever since that uh, leg grab ban was was put in place, my 
I, I could, I could go attack with Osoto all day. I, and without any fear of anybody grabbing that leg, you know, in a, in a judo context anyway. That's funny. Uh, I have a training, had a training partner uh, who was a really good, you know, Osoto and Uchimata player. Uh, it was lefty and I was fighting righty at the time. And I felt like he could just uh, hop on one leg and have his leg, his left leg out in front of me. And, you know, there's not a lot I could do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I know what's coming. It's going to be Uchimata or Soto, but he could just hop towards me on the leg. And I, I felt like I couldn't, couldn't get him, you know? Yeah. Com- yeah. I, I hear you. So let's talk a little bit about the the Paris Grand Slam and some of the matches. As as you know, I I like to run down the divisions. I did not see all of the divisions, but I want to start off with the under 48 kilo division. So anything that so what I'd like for you to do, Christian, is I, I, I run down some of the things that I saw. And if there's anything you want to chime in on, you know, feel free to do so. I'm probably going to stick more with the gold medal matches for the sake of time. Um but yeah. but I will I will definitely cover as many in terms of who won and who you, you know who won the bronze medals and stuff. I I will not cover who got fifth and seventh place. I it's just too many. Um, so the under forty eight kilo division was between uh, gold medal match was between uh, Bavudorj of Mongolia versus uh, Sunoda of Japan. Now I don't know much about. Uh, Babu Dorj, um from Mongolia. It appears that she's a newcomer on the tour. Uh, Sunoda of Japan is the 2021 world champion. Um, I don't know if you saw this match, but I thought uh, Sunoda had a really great Tomonagi that she got the uh, Awazari score. And, um, and I thought during this match that for as good of a day as Babu Dorj had, her inexperience, I thought, was really showing against Sunoda. It just, it just seemed like, I don't know if she ran out of gas, but, but she just was. She got caught with the with the Tomonagi, and then she was thrown again for Tomonagi. There was no score there, but she was really, if for a newcomer, it seemed like Sunoda and her team had a had a game plan. Did uh, you see anything in that match that that stuck out to you? Yeah. Uh, so I think for this division and. Uh, for the the two Japanese players that medaled, uh, it was a lot of Neiwaza. And I know uh, that there's, what's his name? Uh, the BJJ black belt. There's a, there's a Japanese BJJ black belt. I know that they had helping the Japanese women's team. And That's I right. think it's, yeah. Uh, the one that Hickson fought. Um, yep. I'm saying his name is Funaki, but I could be wrong. But I say I'm seeing that they're really, really good at Nawaza. Like so I saw good. a uh, in the Bavador versus Sinoda match. I saw what's called the kiss of the dragon position in in jujitsu. It's like you know if if the guy is standing and I'm looking at his back and I'm I'm seated and I can grab his belt and put my shins behind his uh, behind the back of his knees and pull him into what would be, what's like the back. Yeah, they got to that position. Sinoda got there. Uh, and I was just really impressed that she could get there because that's a sort of intricate jujitsu position. Um, yeah, and do you know then- what else I saw too? Is that Sunoda attacked Bavadors with Ude Garami in her half guard? I mean, yeah. that, that, that was like, that reminded me of me. That's like one of my go tos when I'm doing Brazilian jujitsu. I, you know, if somebody's got me in their half guard, I'm okay with that. I, I try and get an underhook and then, 
and then I go, I, I go for, for, well, in jujitsu, it's either, the, you know, the Americana or the Kimura. I, I, I'll do either or. Uh, but I, I rarely see that in judo. So I was very surprised to see that, that attack in that position. And the ref let it go. No, no mate. It was great to see. Yeah, I think I saw that Udagurami attack. And I think she used it to, to get uh, Bavrador to, to, you know, she had the attack, so she had to transition her focus away that's from right. holding half guard. Yeah, that's how she got to it's the hold. She got the old. Yeah. That's how she got the Osakomi. That's right. It's exactly that's what that's what I saw as well. So Sunoda ended up winning gold there um, in the bronze medal match. Um, uh, Koga of Japan defeated uh, Melanie Clement uh, Legu. She's going by Clement Legu now uh, via Osakomi as well. She got a case of Katami. And um, uh, Blandine Pont of France defeated uh, Katerina Menz of Germany. Now, some of these names on the French team, France had 55 uh, entrants into the Paris Grand Slam. I, I, I can't remember. I, I mean, I, I know that host countries can, can stack their divisions, but wow, they, 55 competitors is a lot. So there's a lot of people in France that I've never even heard of that, that were uh, competing in this tournament. Anything else in the under 48 kilo that stuck out to you? Yeah. So it was the Pont versus men's match. Yeah. Uh, I saw what to me looked like a head dive Uchimata. Uh, I think it was Pont. She landed on sort of the side of her head, not directly on like the top, but they let that go. That was fine. So that's interesting because I saw another match. um, I, I believe it was the one of the under 100 kilo uh, matches where they called a Hansuki Maki on that, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I was moving like, is on that th- okay? What's that? <clears throat> I was wondering, like, is, is that okay? Or is it just, you know, warm uh, getting used to this new rule? Well, in that match, they called the Hansuki Maki. They, they, it seems like they, with the, with the new rule changes, they're going to enforce that even more. So I'm guessing because I don't really see a lot of head diving on the IGF tour a lot. I mean, I, I see a lot of inadvertent stuff, but I'm guessing maybe they're really clamping down on these rules because of the juniors and cadets mm-hmm. in, in those divisions. I don't watch those, the, the cadet world championships or the, or, or the junior world championships. Not, not for any reason. It's just uh, most of the time it's, it's happening while I'm working. And I just, to me, it looked like uh, in the vein of like an Ono, uh, Shohei Ono style Uchimata, where he really like puts his head down and throws. Yeah, which to I, me I think is would be illegal with these new rules. I I would think so too. I I didn't I didn't see that that match, um, the under forty eight kilo bronze match with Pont. So I'm not sure. I would have to rewatch re uh, watch the replay on that and and see exactly what she did. I had one one more note for uh, forty eight. Please a, go ahead. A, yeah. A great, uh, a great match. Uh, Koga, uh, Koga versus Sonoda. Like I, I saw that uh, one of the players took the back standing and then went for an uh, an armbar, like not a flying armbar, but she she climbed onto the other person's back and like then hooks went for in an and everything. Bar. Yeah, it was really interesting to see. And then uh, so she fell off of the armbar position, and the other person stood up and. Uh, I can only say it was like a, a tripod sweep because, you know, uh, she hooked the leg and the other person was standing, which I would imagine is illegal. 
since you we've talked about the Ryan Vargas rule in the past. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. At least my nickname, Ryan Vargas rule. Yeah, throwing yeah. throwing the um, you you know, taken down when you're on the ground and, and throwing in that sense. But there were there were two standing armbar transitions uh, in that match, I think, uh, and there was uh, some single leg X type. Uh, control. So it was really interesting to watch uh, as a Nawaza person. Yeah, I, I yeah. saw another match where I saw single leg X. I was like, okay. and it was, I believe it was one of the uh, Japanese ladies. I, I saw, I saw that. I was like, oh, look at that. Uh, we, 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 I was just, we, I was just practicing that the other night. So I was like, I how think, about uh, that? I think they're, they must have said to allow for more ground time because I took a, I took my stopwatch in one of these matches and I had 13 seconds of someone on the back in Nawaza. And to me, you know, once someone gets in the back in a sort of jujitsu way, they're, they're calling Mate. But, you, yeah. It depends on yeah. the ref, but you're right. I've seen the, the, it seems like, um, I, I mean, I hate saying things like that, but it seems like sometimes the referees have a, a, a bias with, with, uh, with when the Japanese do Nawaza, they will generally allow for more time. Or they will generally allow them to set up their positions. Then, when I see with other people, uh, it, it could be specific referee bias. You know, maybe the referees know a little, are in the know a little bit more, even though these referees are the best in the world. But you know, sometimes you know you have your own biases with what you what you want a match to look like. Um, yeah. I think that can creep in. It creeps in in any sport. I can't imagine judo would be any exception to that. Because I know in one of the tournaments they held uh, here they told that the referee uh, seminar or seminar that the referee where they gathered the referees before the tournament, they said yeah. to allow for more Nawaza time. Yeah. I, I think that's so, a good thing. Yeah. I, I think that's a good thing. You know, unless somebody has got full guard and, and they're just sitting there not doing anything, you know, I think you got to allow for some, some action. So moving on to the under 60 kilo division, it was the, the final was between Nagayama of Japan versus, um, John uh, Singbom of Korea. Now, now I'm sure you saw the highlight of this, but uh, halfway through the match, I saw uh, it. yeah, John <laughs> crawled for his life to get out of bounds. He would he would have made a, a a Marine Corps private <laughs> crawling on the barbed wire, envious the way that he crawled off of that mat to get the shido. So I only I'm assuming that perhaps he had a specific game plan. And part of that game plan was do not enter Nawaza with Nagayama. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that they called Shido for it. They I never thought that, you know, actively escaping because we saw it back in the day. <laughs> That's how you got out of a hold down. You could just kind of scoot out um, and they would stop it. But I never I didn't put two and two together that, you know, if you flee uh on the ground and you go over the line you would get a going over the line shido yeah i i've i've not seen anybody do that ever at least on the igf world tour but 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 the ref made the right call i mean basically they deliberately stepped out of bound and success, instead of stepping it crawled like a snake on the ground but uh you know or or, or like a like a you know like a, a an infantryman you know <laughs> hiding from bullets going over his head or something i was very impressive he ran out but uh within four uh, with 45 seconds left to go in the in the match uh uh nagayama counters john sanagi with i guess what i would call a daki wakari uh for wazari and he continued with the osai komi for the wazari awaseti ipon so 
pretty lively match. I thought it was just, I thought that was the highlight of the match <laughs> crawling off the mat. Uh, anything else that stuck out to you in that match? In that match? Uh, no, I think Ryuju looked, looked on point uh, the yeah. whole tournament. Yeah. 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 In the bronze medal match, you had Papinashvili of Georgia uh, against uh, uh, Husseinov of Azerbaijan. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you saw this match, but Husseinov had a a uh, a throw 14 seconds into the match that I thought it was a beautiful Sayanagi. I thought it was worthy of an Ippon, and he didn't get it. And Papinas really in this match ends up getting the Ipon with a, a brilliant Kouchigari. And it was a fantastic match for me, but boy, I, I really felt that uh, Husseinov was screwed here because he could have won that match 14 seconds into that fight. And, and I felt like in, and, and we talked about this prior to recording that it almost seems like the standard for Ipon in some of these matches has been raised again. Because there's some matches that I thought, wow, that's an Ipon, and they ended up giving a Wazari. I, I'm not so sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet, but but I just thought it was really interesting to see. Did you manage to catch this match at all? I did, yeah. <clears throat> so I thought that Papanashvili had uh, great, a great tempo, a great pace in that match. Agreed, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, he really took it to the Azari. I do think that uh, Papanashvili's uh, throw at the end was a bit of a poor landing for an Ippon score. You thought so? Okay. I thought so, yeah. Like, the first uh, Husseinov's throw, that, what one did you was, think? that one was pretty good, yeah. I think it was definitely on the side. You did think it was... Side. Okay, yeah. you thought it was more on the so, side. Okay. But, you know, to for this other throw to be called Ippon, I think, was... Uh, eh, uh, not quite sure. That, I wouldn't have called it, yeah. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. I Like, I felt... I felt the... I felt the Ipon Sayanagi by by uh, Husseinov was had a better landing than the Ipon that Papinashvili got with his Kojigari. Uh so that that's kind of how I saw it. But um, again, you know, I'm not here to dog the refs. They're they're the best in the world. I think they do a good job almost all of the time. So I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I I. I protect for me. I thought that was might have been a miss, but you said you thought he landed more on the side. Yeah. Okay. Now in the other bronze medal match, you had Lee Harim of Korea uh, against uh, Luca Mikidze of France, and I got now. I have a note here. The the, the exchange with two forty four left in the contest was really fascinating to me. Uh, Mihitze uh, wins with the Juje Katami after not scoring on the, the attack. And this is one of these instances where I saw one of those continuation rules with the Uchimada, where that step over rule that used to score. And now they're not scoring anymore. But I've always been saying with that rule that, that okay, well, you, you're not going to score anymore, but this is considered a skillful entry into Nawaza. And I think that's exactly what Luca uh, did here. And he got that Juji Katami. And um, did you happen to see that match at all? I did, yeah. I think uh, if if you watch any of the Paris Grand Slam, go ahead and do yourself a favor and watch all of Mikidze's matches. He did a fantastic job. Like normally when I think of minus 60, I think of Takato's kind of judo where it's yeah. bent over. It's not that exciting, but yep. he really impressed me. 
uh, in the match with the armbar. Uh, I, I watched his judo. I thought his sort of uh, kataguruma slash uh, sort of like a wrestling duck under that Moloai likes to do. Uh, I think that was really exciting. Did a really good job. Yeah. So you you saw uh, um, Makitse's uh, matches all throughout this division. You, you did you yep. watch the semifinals and stuff? What did you think? Anything stand out to you on the semifinals for the under sixty? I think the uh, the one where he faced the the other Georgian was a, that's a must must watch match. It was uh, you know sort of Georgian power, and yeah. uh, at one point Makitse gets a, an omoplata, and uh, Makitse escapes by lifting him up off the floor and the the pace was great it was really interesting yeah and yeah uh, you know there's the the power throw the yugurinage like hip uh thigh throw uh that yeah. is going around on instagram uh oh i did georgian, uh, I see, yeah yeah i did the see georgian that. hit that on mckidze but mckidze survives that to go on and win the match and that's you know not to give away the match but you know that's that's worth a watch for sure <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've seen that clip go around. I, I didn't realize that was McKidse there. Yeah. So he survived that and goes on, does an omoplata. It was great. I have to say, yeah. Now, moving on to the under 66 kilo uh, division, the final. Um, one of my favorites in this division, Ambao of Korea against uh, Yondon Perileni of Mongolia. Really tight match. Um, I, I just thought both of these fighters were very even. Uh, on Bao had uh, two Shido going into golden score for, for two false attacks. It did. I felt that Yondon uh, Perenlei was a little bit defensive and I thought he got away with a lot of no non Shido calls for being defensive. And, um, but, but um, later on in golden score, about three minutes into golden score, they finally called a, a Shido on both fighters but it ended up costing Anbao the match, so um, which was very surprising to me. They both had sleeve grips. They didn't really do anything. They were standing around there. So I makes me wonder if the Mongolian had a specific game plan with his coach on how to, because I, you know, I've always said there's there's five ways to win in judo, and, and one of those way, ways is winning by shido. So it, it almost seemed like they had a game plan to to get Anbao the shido into losses. Did you, did you see this match at all? Yeah, I I thought it was interesting. Like I imagine uh, seeing on ball fight before they both looked pretty flat in the match. I don't know if it was because they're both great players and they kind of neutralize each other. But yeah, I remember watching uh, Perinelli in the Olympics and I thought he he did great. I know he didn't medal, but uh, you know, this, you know, double Shido for a gold was a bit disappointing. Yeah. I say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never I never liked seeing that, but I thought it was the right call. But by the ref, I, I thought he could I, I thought the ref could have called uh, a Shido on the Mongolian um, be, before that point in golden score. Um, but it, it didn't happen. Did I did not see any other matches in the under 66 kilo division. Did you catch anything else? Yeah, I think the uh, the. Tanaka versus the Finnish player that was wasn't wasn't the best a bit disappointing yeah uh, but the the Georgian versus uh, the Frenchman Buba that was great uh, that was a great another Georgian uh, what I would call a Yaguranage the 
the front thigh lifting throw from chest yeah. to chest. Yeah, that's a throw to see for sure. Um, one note I had for this division, I saw uh, a couple of American players. Uh, I, I've that's seen right. Ari Berliner before uh, in this division, but a newcomer, Isaiah Ramirez. Isaiah Ramirez, impre- he ended up yeah. getting seventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he impressed me. I liked I liked his style. I think he, you know, he might be one to watch for uh, us Americans, you know? I, I hope so, because I, I tell you what, I, I th- Seventh place at the Paris Grand Slam is nothing to sneeze at. That 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 should be celebrated. And and as far as I'm concerned, you know, we, we should be celebrating that here because it, that's uh that that's a big deal. That's a that's a huge finish. You yeah. don't you, you, to me, you you got to team USA has got to get themselves into top seven finishes. And this is you know, you start here. I mean, boy, I mean, that that division is stacked. I don't know anything about Ramirez's game. I didn't see him fight. I only saw the result. But um, but yeah, I'm going to go back and, and and watch some of his matches because, boy, this division's tough. But to get to get seventh uh, with these fighters in in here and and um, I, I don't know who represented from Japan. I, I know I know uh, Abe was not here. But um, but that's a tough division. Yeah, I was wondering who I've seen this, uh, the coach for the USA. I've seen him in other tournaments. Uh, I think he's the guy from Florida. I don't know his name. Do you know who's, who's in the coach's chair? Uh, Johnny Prado. Yeah, it might be one. Johnny Prado oh, yeah. from Kia Tusai, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It, it should be Kia Tusai. He's that's one of the, the national training centers uh, in the United States. Uh, along with uh let's see yeah uh, out in california you got where mike swain teaches um goodness what what is where, where is that um at the college i, I totally draw oh, san, san jose, jose state yeah san jose yeah, state that makes sense got colorado springs uh i think jason morris is and um i think jimmy pedros as well i think i'm, I'm not sure if that's considered a national training site anymore but uh probably should be hmm. um all right, so moving on to the under seventy three uh, under seventy three kilo final between uh, uh, Lasha Shadatuitsvili, who's one of my favorites to watch, against uh, Hashimoto of Japan, uh, went into golden score, and both uh, Shadatuitsvili and Hashimoto are really getting away with a lot of grip breaking and not advancing. This is one of those situations where I like the new rule where you got to be advancing if you're going to grip break. But I saw a lot of grip breaking and resetting, and I thought the the, the ref might have been asleep at the wheel a little bit because they could have been easily been called a couple of shitos there. Um, but I, I guess when you've got these two guys, you, you don't you don't want the referee to decide the outcomes. And I, I think the referees in finals, they understand that they don't want to nobody go. Nobody watches judo to, to see the referees ref. So I, I do appreciate it when they let the fighters fight. But uh, um. But Hashimoto ends up getting a third Shido, and which is ends up with the Hash, you know, the the uh, the Hansokumaki. Uh, so Shavdatuishvili ends up getting gold there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. What did you think of that match? I think uh, <clears throat> so. Shotashi has really, really put pressure on Hashimoto, like in the in regulation, and then you saw momentum kind of shift to Hashimoto, like. Uh, but I think I heard in the commentary uh, that I agreed with. I think Shotoshi really played tired at the end because Hashimoto had two shidos, and uh, Shotoshi really only had one. Yeah. He played tired, and and Hashimoto. Uh, his he was momentum was going and he was you know being imposing. Uh, so I think he just Hashimoto kind of played with him a bit and that cost him uh, with not really attacking. Like there there were some some movements where I think Hashimoto was like I'm he had his chest out and he just let the guy kind of fall off of him. I think Shatuish really played tired to get him to overcommit to not attacking and get the third cheeto interesting that was my that was my uh interpretation no I that's, that's, that's what uh sheldon uh said as well yeah i i, I hear you now i only saw one of the under 73 kilo bronze medal matches and that was between fabio basile of italy versus benjamin axis of france I tell you what <laughs> basile looked like he was giving up a foot I can't believe that Axis is fighting in the under 73 kilo division at that height. It's almost it's almost looking at Daria Bilo did in the under 48 kilo division, where she's seemingly a foot taller than everybody else. Um, and I thought I saw one thing that I thought was really odd about Basile's fighting in in this contest, and I saw him in, I saw a semifinal where he kind of did the same thing. He's a lefty fighter, but he was fighting, doing a lot of righty techniques. But he looked like a uh, he looked like a lefty fighter f- pretending to be righty at some times, and it cost him in this match, in my opinion. I, I mean, Basile went in for um, uh, I want to say it was a I thought it was an Ouchigari or um, or 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 say he. Basile went in for a right side of the attack and he got countered big time. And I don't, I don't know if you managed to see that at all, but, um, but I, I was very surprised at, at Basile going from right to left so frequently. Yeah. Uh, I saw that one and I, that was another must watch match in my opinion. Um, yeah, it was, was exciting really to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, Axis was so tall and he was the tall lefty versus Fabio Basile. Uh, who I think he usually likes to play far. He likes to throw Kataguruma from sort of not being so in close to do like Harai, but he likes those Katagurumas. He likes his uh, Kosotos from far. And yeah. I think that Axius being so tall and also a lefty, I think that really threw him off. So I think Axius is probably going to be one to watch because uh, it said that he came in, what, 214th in the world at this weight class. Yeah. Yeah. To beat Fabio gonna, Bazile. That's a big deal. That's a big yeah. win. So, uh, but credit to Fabio Bazile for escaping Mount from uh, this guy. Yep. That was an incredible escape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to look at that again and, and put that into my, my repertoire. Cause that was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Completely agreed. Now I want to switch over to the, which is my favorite division to watch on, on the tour. 
the under 52 kilo division, which to me just continues to be one of the most exciting divisions on the tour. And this final in this setting is no exception with Amadine Bouchard versus Distria Krasnicki of Kosovo. You, you can't ask for better in, in, in this division. Krasnicki is up a weight class after winning gold at the Olympics from the under 48 kilo division. So, so I believe this might've been her second. I, I think she was at the grand prix a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so this is her second match in, in the, in the under 52 kilo division. Bouchard is the current number one in the world and she won silver at the Olympics. Just really exciting match heading into golden score. Bouchard gets a Wazari at, at around the 355 mark in golden score. I wasn't sure about that particular call, um, it, but I, I didn't think because with the new Wazari rule, which I like, you got to be the body's got to be at least uh, 90 degrees at, and back facing toward toward the toward the mat. Um, I wasn't sure about that Wazari call that she got, but um, on the replay, I thought it was it was close enough. So, you know, she probably got the home count call a little bit there. Uh, but the continuation on that throw was, I suppose, got to the got to the 90 degrees. Either way, the crowd goes wild. It, it was a tremendous match for me. What did you think? That was another one of uh, the ones I had starred as a must watch. Yeah, uh, I was. And it was so technical. I like I really like Bouchard's game. And I have I, do I, too. Actually, I have a lot written here about this match because I thought there was a lot in terms of uh, the stylistic differences between Bouchard and uh, Krasniki. Um, like, I think it was really, really interesting that Bouchard uh, fought righty against lefties but normally fights lefty against righties uh and you know uh krasniki really likes to be in close and hit osotos and harais and uchibatas but you saw her struggle in the match against uh uh chelsea giles earlier on uh who fought for bronze uh yeah in 52 you fought you saw her really struggle and i think that's because you know chelsea giles is lanky tall and uh Bouchard also likes to play sort of far, kind of like Giles. Um, so I think like the score that Krasniki got against Giles, I think was uh, questionable. Uh, I think she only really kind of barely beat her. So yeah. to, for her to come into this, um, I think Bouchard was a big, uh, big challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think Krasnicki will eventually get her. Uh, I mean, she's already, you know, next division up, she's already in a final of one of the biggest uh, uh, competitions in the, of the year. Uh, so I think Krasnicki will, will get over on Bouchard at some point during the year. I'm sure they'll, they'll rematch again, you know, maybe it, maybe at the world championships and such, but um but yeah, I, I I I love watching Bouchard. I think she's just phenomenal. She between her and and Clarissa Bignenu, I mean, they, I, that 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 women's team for France is just just unbelievable to me. They're yeah. just so much fun to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing her in Paris. Uh, yeah. One thing I noted here, a technique that I think was so interesting that Bouchard does. Uh, so she fights lefty against righties, right? And so she'll she'll post with her right hand for the right collar, and then she'll go for a kataguruma to that side. So yeah. normally in left and right, you can do kind of the Fabio Basile kataguruma, which is to the 
to the left side. So if you're holding the left collar as a lefty, you'd go to that side, but she goes to the far side with the right collar. And it's like uh, in like freestyle wrestling, if you shot to the other leg to do Kataguma on the far side. And I just think that was so, so interesting to watch. Um, and, you know, Bouchard also has great Nawaza. Yes, uh, I, yeah, she did. Well, that the, the Nawaza between her and and mm-hmm. and uh, and Abe at the Olympics. I mean, that was that was a clinic to me. I mean, that was that was also a fantastic match. That Bouchard that hits. Uh, Bouchard had hit a another one of those right far Katagumas, uh in a way that I I learned a trick from watching Molai. If you're a righty and you come out uh, crouched, yeah, uh, a lot of people won't won't notice you suddenly explode up and get your posture and go for an overhand. Yeah. So, yeah. So Bouchard did that against the Japanese fighter and she hit the, the category that she liked. And yeah. I think that was an amazing, amazing display of judo. Yeah. She, she's, she's yeah. tremendous. I did not watch the other matches in the under 52 kilo division. Was there any other matches that you wanted to comment on? Uh, just that I saw that uh, in the uh, other bronze medal match in the Neto versus kosher, uh, that they are calling the breaking a grip and not retaking a grip. I saw that Shido in that match. You did. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see that in other matches. It did, but some of the ones that I watched, they did. They, I'm surprised they didn't call it. And then uh, one, one interesting technique I saw from the Japanese fighter. I uh, Shishime was she hit. She was attempting Hane Goshi in a left versus right against the, against Chelsea Giles, who's quite large or quite tall. And, you know, she was in that V shape in left and right. And she, she cut across to hit Hanegoshi to the, to the far leg. I thought that was really interesting. Now, are you sure it was Hanegoshi and not Uchimata? (laughs) (laughs) She did like a spring with the, yeah. So uh, Chelsea Giles to me looked a lot like a kind of a Daria Billa did because she's so tall in this division. Yeah. Um, But I think, and I see her do a lot of Nawaza, a lot of turtle uh, Sankaku attacks. I just think that maybe Chelsea Giles needs a little bit more uh, throwing, a big throwing ability kind of that Daria has. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, Giles versus Daria. <laughs> now, moving on to the under 81 kilo final, uh, Tato Grigalishvili of Georgia against uh, Fujiwara Sotaro of Japan. And again, this was one of those matches where I was stunned. The Sayanagi by Sotaro, uh, 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 by Fujiwara, was called a Wazari. That, to me, that was an Ipon. And a few seconds later after that, uh, Grigalich Vili gets a Wazari uh, with a Teiwaza-type throw. I'm not sh- sure what you would call it, some sort of pickup. Uh, I would either... It's one of those... You could call it a Teguruma. You could call it an Uki, a competitive version of Uki Otoshi. I'm not sure what to call it, but um, boy, the finish of this match was incredible for me. I thought for sure that uh, Grigalishvili was going to get the Uchimada with that behind the back grip, but uh, but Fujiwara reversed it uh, for a Kosoda Gari. Just a fantastic match. Uh, within the regulation period that didn't go into golden score with just plenty of action. What, what did you think of this one? I think that was a, that was another good one. Uh, you know, I think that, that, uh, that Sinagi was, uh, <laughs> what could have been a pawn. 
Okay, yeah, so I, I was agree. I'm not a man on an island there. Okay. Yeah, I do think that uh, having the match go on allowed for me to watch better judo. So I'm not so mad about it. But oh, sure. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, but I thought one thing that impressed me about Gregorius Ashvili was uh, I think he looked really good on the ground. Like, uh, I don't necessarily associate Georgians with Nawaza, but, uh, you know, he had good movement. Yeah, that's 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 a good ob- observation. See, that's that's funny. I'm glad you I'm glad you're on because there's things that I that I don't cover that you're covering here. So that's that's an aspect of it that I completely didn't, uh, you know, blew right over. But you're right. I, I mean, there was some excellent display of Nawaza there for sure. Did you watch any other matches in the under 81 kilo uh, division that you wanted to cover? I uh, I watched the um, uh, Sagi Muki versus Chuchi match. I think they had a they had a good match, but overall I, it was I think I so saw so. that Muki lost that, right? Yeah, he he lost that. Okay, I did see it. I just didn't make any notes on it. Um, and then the the other one, I because I'd been watching uh, Gautier Trapo, uh, uh, the Canadian, because we had a new eighty one kilo Canadian player on the world tour. Uh, and he made it all the way for the bronze medal match against uh, Bolta Boyev. I think he did good. I think, uh, you know, uh, Antoine Valois-Fortier uh, did a good job uh, uh, training this guy because he looks, he, he moves in a sort of similar way. He's kind of lanky and tall like uh, Antoine uh, Valois-Fortier. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think it was in one of his matches that I saw the, he and uh, that Gautier uh, posted on one hand and then uh, went to the other, but didn't get called Shido. Now, I'm a little surprised that uh, uh, Judo Canada did not send more athletes to this particular Grand Slam. This is one of the biggest ones of the year. I would, I think they only sent two athletes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the reasoning was for that, but I see on Instagram that, you know, uh, the other, like, Jessica Klimklate and uh, Shadi uh, El Nahas is uh, training. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just, maybe they have a game plan on certain tournaments that they want to, to target, which is perfectly understandable. I mean, I, I think, I, I think the world of, of what uh, Canada has going up there. I, did you hear my interview with Josh Hagen? Was that, uh, that was, was that one that of the was, athletes? No, that Josh Hagen is is the head coach for the Northwest Territories for Judo Canada. Oh, and yes. I, and I, and I, I interviewed him um, back after the Olympics. It was it was late last year. It's a really fascinating interview, and it's it just really interesting to hear just just Canada's structure uh, and mm-hmm. and how they they're running their national team. I I know the funding the the national funding is different than it is for the United States, but. But Canada gets the money and they're getting because of that, they get the results. Yeah. And, yeah, and they, I, they had a good, like you just pointed out, they had a good showing a newcomer, you, you know, and, it, and boom, you, you know, he's, he's, he's fighting for a medal. It was interesting to see uh, with the Instagram training. Uh, I saw someone, someone from our local judo scene here in BC. Uh, if you're, if you're good as a young person, you get sent, you get you move your way up to the provincial team, yeah. And then if you're good enough, you'll you'll be asked to move to the to the national training center in Quebec. So we had uh, we've had a few people over the years go there, but I've seen on the Instagram uh, that one of the guys I knew from here 
uh, is training with Shadi in his, and I know he fights in his weight class. So it's good to see that as well. That, that, that's, that's good. I, I think, mm-hmm. I, I think the way Canada does it and, and I'm probably going to get some backlash for this or whatever, have having all the athletes go to one place is I think is the best way. I, I, I think, I think that's how most other countries do it. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know if, having so many different Nash quote unquote national training centers is the way to go for USA judo. That just my opinion. I, I don't, I, I it just, just from what I see, I don't know of it. I don't know of any other judo country, serious judo country around the world that does it that way. Um, and I know geographically the United States is a pretty big place, but, but uh, so is Canada geographically. It's very, it's a huge land area. So, you know, they managed to pull it off, you know, in one location. So I, just my opinion, I, I don't know if it would help matters. I don't know if it would hurt, but, but um, I, I think part of judo Canada's success is having all the athletes in one place. I do think that that would have some growing pains. Like I know, oh for the sure, original judo podcast uh, was his name James James Austin. He's yeah. talked a lot about that, and that was sort of that was an issue in the UK. Yeah, yeah that uh-huh. was eye opening. It's it's still a debate if I'm if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, uh, individual people's struggles is uh, is valid, but I think that you know a national training center probably seems to be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I now, did think that. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, please. Th- there's a absence of Russian athletes, uh, at least a few of them. Um, like they didn't, ha- they didn't send out like a bunch of people. Uh, like weirdly, Mongolia sent out a bunch of people. Canada didn't really send out a bunch. It was it's a strange Paris Grand Slam, but I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. I I to to me the the Paris Grand Slam is is one of those events it's it's a, to me it's the second largest event it's second biggest event next to the world championships on any given year when it's not an olympic uh, year so i i was surprised to see you know certain countries not send you know full teams um to to this event maybe there's pandemic concerns still maybe there's there's issues with regards uh, you know other types of issues that i'm not aware of but um you know, Paris to me kicks off the kicks off the 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 calendar year. Even though there was a Grand Prix a week before it, but to me, you know, it's it's kind of like I, I, you know, I, I vaguely follow that NASCAR. You know, the Daytona 500 kicks off the entire year. It's the biggest race of the year, and and uh, that you know, all the all the the, the the drivers show up for that, and that's 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 really the only race that I watch. But um, I kind of see the Paris Grand Slam in a similar way. Could I make a note on uh, on the seventy three? I forgot to. Yeah, please to go say. right ahead. Yeah. So with the seventy three with Axius, it was really interesting to see that he beat round one uh, Orzhov, and then he beat uh, he beat Orzhov. Did he really? Yeah. He beat Orzhov in round one. Yeah. So that's why that's why I had the note. He's someone to watch for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a um, that's a big win. And I mean, another, I know he had a hell of a day, but but still. Yeah. Another uh interesting uh thing with the an Azerbaijani athlete with Haderov, the the hair guy, he lost to an athlete from the Gambia, which you know, not not exactly a judo country. Right. Um, but you know, anything can happen. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I learned in the in some of the commentary, I didn't know that the IGF announcer is Georgian, the guy with the deep voice. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, I think that was that was interesting to learn. Huh. Um, and I, I, when I was listening to some of the individual matches on the IGF Live website, which is great. Um, it really is had, great. I used to watch it on YouTube, but uh, some, some that somebody, takes too long. <laughs> somebody on yeah, somebody on Reddit was like, "What the?" It told me like, "What the hell are you doing? You should be watching through the IGF." So I've been doing it ever since that guy told me that. And and yeah, he that person was right because yeah. it's it's superior to watch it through the IGF portal. But I could hear in the IGF portal, you can hear the French commentary. Yeah. And one one thing, you know, as a as a Spanish speaker, and I, I took a semester uh, in high school of French, that that the French commentary uses a lot of I would call it Spanglish, but you know, it's French. The French use a lot of English words sort of haphazardly. And I thought oh, it was pretty really? funny. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that, it was really funny to, to listen to, actually. It's interesting you bring that up because I, I have heard French commentary in the past. And to me, you know, because, because there's a lot of words that, that uh, you know, English words that come, that come from French words and such. If I know the context of what's being talked about, let's say judo, for example, I can kind of follow what's being said. It's not hard for me to pick it up. And I think it's part of because I'm, I'm somewhat bilingual with, with Spanish and, and mm-hmm. English. I can kind of connect the, connect the dots with other languages. I can't do that with a language like Japanese, but, 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 you know, listening to German and, and listening to, to, to French, I can kind of, if I understand the context, I can kind of pick up on what's being said. I noticed uh, on one, one of the American athletes in 73, they were wearing a, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ippon gear, but it looked like it had a Fuji logo and the American was wearing it. I, I, I Googled it just now and uh, apparently it's a Hitashida Sports IGF approved gi. It was really interesting. I've never seen that gi before. Interesting. Yeah, I yeah. I didn't notice. I, I didn't see him fight. But I, as far as I'm aware, the the Fuji uh, brand doesn't have a IGF approved uh, gi. But I I thought it that does was, not. It was interesting. Yeah, I don't think they do. Huh. Okay. It's not like a Matsuru or uh, other sort of smaller brand that do. Yeah, I I'm in the market. I I got to get myself a new judo gi soon, and I want to make sure that it's IJF approved. Not that I'll ever, not that I'll ever sniff an IJF tournament, but I I would like to have something that's that's official. You, you know, I I have a single weave that I use. It's it's been the it's my old trusty dependable single weave. It's comfortable, but uh, I I need a new I need a new gi uh, at some point. So, all right. So moving on to the under seventy kilo final. Uh, featuring Mar- Margot Pinot of France against uh, Nizoi Saki of Japan. Uh, for me, in this match, uh, both competitors look really tired. I don't know what their road up to this final looked like, but they look like a couple of a couple of fighters that fought a lot of Golden Score matches. And this particular match ended up in Golden Score. Uh, Pinot ends up getting a Sayanagi. <laughs> That was the slowest continuation Sayanagi maybe in judo history that I have ever seen anyway. I thought for at first that there were two movements and that should not have called the Wazari there. But 
when I saw the replay, it was a continuous one movement, but just a really slow movement. Uh, crowd goes wild as usual for the French, uh, which I got to say, part of the reason why I love the Paris Grand Slam is you got, you, you got, you know, 14,000 plus people, you know, piled up into an arena and they all know judo and, and they really support their athletes. Did you see this competition? I don't know if this was this was the division that you watched. No, I, I wasn't able to to get yeah. get there. Yeah, yeah, completely understood. I this was the only final that I saw. I did not watch any under uh, any of the under seventy kilo uh, matches. The, the under seventy kilo and the under fifty seven kilo divisions are not ones. There's some divisions that I that I I will set my alarm to watch. And other ones that I just, I'll just catch the replay. And and this under 70, I don't typically, you, you know, set an alarm to, to watch. But uh, I did see this final. I want to move on to the under 90 kilo division. The gold medal final featured Moraro. I don't know if I got that right of Japan uh, against uh, Mamadali uh, Medev of Azerbaijan. And I, we talked about this before we started recording. I'm really surprised. This is another one of those throws that that Osotogari that by uh, Morao did not score any pawn. I, and I and I said it before. I'll say it again. There was a few throws in this tournament that I was really, I really thought by my standards, I thought was which I think are pretty high, worry pawn, and it was called a Wazari. Um, and and again, looked like one of those things where maybe the refs as a whole have raised the standard of uh, of repawn. Uh, but it was a double sleeve Osorogari, which I love seeing because I do it all the time. Um, what did you think of this particular match? Mor- Morao end up ended up winning. Uh, I think it was a great match. You know, Morao yeah. looked spectacular. Uh, I think that uh, to that match, even in that match, that uh, Mehdeev uh, also looked great. You know, I've yes. watched Mehdeev uh, in tournaments in the past, and I really like watching him. Uh, I think he's an interesting uh, player to watch. Azerbaijan's got an awesome team. They've had oh, yeah. an awesome. They 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 have such great judoka. Uh, the only other note I had for this division was yeah. uh, uh, not for the bronze medal matches, but for the other interesting player that I have seen in in other tournaments and also in this tournament, um, which I was surprised he didn't do better. Uh, was Christian Parlati Parletti, uh-huh. uh, the Italian? Oh, he's such an unorthodox player. If you get the chance, look up uh, if you can find a highlight or watch some of his matches. He does really interesting drop uh, Ochigakes that just don't look like they they should work, but they do. But they do? Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Who is that again? Uh, Christian Parlotti. I'll have I'll I'll check him yeah. out after uh, after we're done recording. I'll I'll take a look because that that isn't I'm not familiar with him. Mm-hmm. I think he like takes a page out of Fabio Basile's book and doing strange waza, but it's it's great. Now moving on to the under seventy eight kilo uh, final that was uh, uh, with Umeki Mami of Japan versus Audrey Tremeo uh, of France. Now in near the beginning of the match, uh, uh, Tremeo gets a sumigayeshi, which I thought was going to be any pawn, but they awarded a wazari again. It went to it went to video review, um, and then Shimeo ends up getting another throw that went to video review, but it wasn't a Wazari. 
Um, it seemed like Chimeo was was really pushing Umeki uh, this entire match. He was really dominant. And, you know, towards the end, uh, Umeki seems to finally get going and, um, you know, nearly gets a choke there. But uh, Sh- but Chimeo ends up shooting her way to a gold medal. Uh, did you see this under 78 uh, kilo division at all? I, I wasn't able to catch it, but okay. I like Chimeo. I think she's a really good player. I do too. Yeah. yeah, I I like watching the under seventy kilo division, and she's she's uh one of the top players that I enjoy watching. That like I said before, that that uh, team France is just amazing as well. Uh, we stack it out there with Japan, Azerbaijan, um, uh, you know Russia. I mean, this uh, Brazil. I didn't see much of Brazil in this in in, in any of the time. I don't even know if they showed up in in, in this tournament. I remember uh, I some something where. It was like a something live with Neil Adams, and I got. Oh, I had a friend who interviewed Neil Adams for his podcast, and I got him to ask a question to Neil. I asked him like, "Why is the Brazilian team not not doing as well as we had seen in the past?" And Neil Adams didn't agree with me, but you know, I don't see their athletes uh, making the top medals anymore. I feel like like they're they're in the bronzes, but there's no solid. Brazilian athlete, I think that's getting golds, you know. I, I just I I just think the competition is so tight up up in you know up in those those you know the, the top seven in any division is it's just so hard. I you know you could almost you know you could almost make the same case for for Canada in a way where I think a lot of their athletes are so strong and they're just the you know, it's it's so the 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 competition is just so tight uh, between yeah. Canada and, and Brazil. Um, but I mean, I I hear what you're saying. I I I'm I don't know if they're any weaker. It, it's just I I I think it just comes down to a matter of 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 inches and just you know, just uh, some, some days it's just not their day. You know what I mean? It just, it just seems like it hasn't been their day as uh, it seems like it's been not their day more often, I should say. Yeah. Now moving on to the plus 78 kilo final. Did you watch plus 78 at all? I didn't know. So in this final, it featured uh, uh, Tomita Wakaba of Japan against Romain Dico of France. And now Tomita won this. I'm not sure what you call what she won with, but it was really impressive throw. It kind of looked like a weird version of Daki Wakari again. It's the second time I saw um, that that throw used as a score, but it, it was just really odd. I, I, Diko went in for some kind of a, a, a throw, and and usually I see Daki Wakari when somebody does a, a Sayanagi and they fail, but... um. And it's countered with Daki Wakari, but in this instance, it almost looked like she did it while while Romain Dico was standing up. It's a really impressive throw. I don't, I don't really watch all that much plus seventy eight kilo matches, but but this f- particular final was one of the best I've seen in a while in that division, quite frankly. Um, so I didn't, but but that was the only match of the plus seventy eight kilo that I watched. So, because you didn't watch it, we can move on to another division. Yeah. Um, the under hundred kilo division final between Toma Nikiforov of 
of Belgium against Peter Polchik of Israel. Uh, really lively match to me heading into Golden Score. Uh, Polchik got slammed on his face in the early going within the first couple of seconds, and he had to be bandaged up. Uh, I guess he was bleeding from his nose. It, it's funny. I, it, it's <laughs> it's funny how they bandage guys up in the uh, you know on on the IGF. It's 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 almost like they they go above and beyond what they really need. But um, but yeah, he had bandages wrapped around his face, around his nose, uh, and uh, Polchik ended up getting called for a Han Sokumaki. This is the what I was talking about before, for for head diving, and looking at the replay. To me, it was absolutely the right call. You you got to call that that head dive. Did you see this match? You know, I I didn't catch it, but I think I'd seen uh, on Instagram a highlight of of this. Okay, you know, I like watching Peter Polchik, but. Uh, yeah. In the under in the under 100 kilo bronze medal matches, um, it, it, the the medals in these in that division went to uh, Turoboyev of 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 Uzbekistan defeating Michael Corral of the Netherlands. Just kind of a surprise for me because I because on the IJF portal you can vote for who you think is going to win, and I, I voted for Corral in that one. He ended up losing, and uh, Ida Kentaro of Japan defeated. Uh, a Buscarini of Brazil with a really nice Uchimata. Okay, there you go, Brazil. Yeah, so so Brazil did make it to a to a to a medal match, but they ended he ended up getting fifth there. Um, I did see uh, Nicolas or the Georgian, the Spanish Georgian guy, the the world champion at at ninety. Oh, that's right, he moved yeah. up away. I forgot uh-huh. about that. I watched his matches. He had two. How did and, he look? Uh, he looks like an. He looks like your average day, average everyday Joe in that weight class. He doesn't look like the towering, dominating figure that we know him in 90. It was really interesting to see, especially when he fought uh, another really tall, like even taller than uh, sure. What's his name? Sure. As you really, he fought a guy who was even taller. And I think that was just threw him off, you know, uh, watching that match. So. Well, I, I have no, to see he, if he if this is his right weight class or not. No, he didn't are, look are you, spectacular. Are you talking yeah. about Sharaz Deshvili in the cold Sharaz yeah. uh-huh. of Spain? Yeah. I think I read and I, I maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, but I thought I read an article on the IJF site where he decided to move up a weight class because it was just too difficult for him to stay at uh under 90 kilo he said i that would think make sense i think i read that he'd been hungry all the time for years i mean so so it's kind of funny that you say that he kind of looks like an average joe i because i i think he'd been he'd been really struggling with keeping that weight um in his former division so this is going to be interesting i you know talking about distria kresnicki uh, moving up in weight class, I think she's going to do fine there. Um, I think Daria Bilo did. There's been some rumors that she's going to bump up from under 48 to under 52 kilo division. Which, if she does, I mean that that division is just going to get even better. But but unlike Distria Krasnicki and unlike, um, you, you know who I just mentioned, I'm just drawing a blank all of a sudden. Um, Daria Bilo did. I, I think that it's going to take uh, Nicole Sheriff Dishvili a little bit to get mm-hmm. used to under 100 kilo. Uh, he's he's going to have a tough transition, I, I, mean, I think. 
you saw that with uh, Kripalik when he first went up to plus 100. Uh, That's right. Even at the end, he wasn't really consistently winning golds. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. But, you know, he's he's the plus 100 uh, champion. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Now, I now I'm going to cover real quickly some of the other divisions that I missed. Um, Well, I did see I, I, I. Skipped over the under 63 kilo final. I did watch it. It was an all Japan final with uh, Nabikuro defeating Doi. And I'm not a familiar with Doi uh, as a fighter, but um, I, apparently, you know, looking at her record, she's had some really nice wins in, in the last Olympic cycle with a few grand slams and a, and a, and a grand prix. I didn't use some, sometimes I watch these matches and I know I cover them all, but sometimes I just forget the fighters because I'm concentrating on other fighters in that division. Clearly Clarissa Begnenu was not in this division. And I said it many times before I set alarms to watch Clarice fight. She's my favorite uh, judoka on the tour, uh, but she's pregnant. Uh, she announced it a few days ago on her Instagram. So it makes sense why she didn't compete in this Paris grand slam. Um, she stated that she's fully intending on competing at the 2024 games, but um, I have to believe she's going to take at least a year and a half off. Uh, that still should give her some time to get enough points to make a final or to get enough points to, to make it to, um, to the Olympics. But, um, but yeah, so she's pregnant. Congratulations to her and her, uh, I think she's married. I can't, I don't know if she's married or fiance, but I know her fiance is her coach uh, or one of her coaches. So, um, so congratulations to both of them. I think that's really great. Did you watch any of the under 63 at all? Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched the, I watched her matches or the the final and then the bronzes. Okay. Uh, I'd say the overall, it was kind of a, I hate to say this, but like a boring uh, division. Yeah. But it was another Shido Shido, uh, Shido final for gold yep. with a Japan versus Japan. Yeah. For gold, Which, like that happened that at fifty seven a lot, and that happened at sixty three. It, it happens a lot. I, I, I or at least it feels like it happens a lot when there's an all Japan final, um, at, at one of these uh, tournaments, um. So let's see. I completely missed the under 57 kilo division, which was again another all Japan final between uh, Funakobu and uh, Tamaoki. And Funakobu was the winner of that. I also missed the plus 100 kilo division. Did you watch any of those divisions? Uh, I watched 57. You did. And uh, any thoughts it was on an, that? It was another uh, third Shido Hansogamaki uh, gold. Yeah. I, yeah. But um, the Sazik, the all France bronze medal match was interesting. Um, you know, Sazik is is good all around. Uh, I think that you know I see uh, signs of like uh, Clarice Abegnanu kind of good all around. Yeah. Um, but uh, Sazik, when Sazik lost uh, to the eventual gold medalist uh, Funakobu, uh, you could just see that Funakobu had just edged her out in uh, Newaza because uh, you know Sazik got some Newaza wins. In this uh, in this tournament, but Funakobu pinned Tzik for uh, for Ipon. Now, what about the plus one hundred kilo division? Did you watch that at all? I didn't. No. Okay. Yeah, I I missed it as well. Uh, you know, it's tough for me sometimes when these tournaments land it, because it was on a 
the plus 100 kilo division was on a Sunday. And there's a lot of things I end up doing at home on Sunday. I, you know, housework and things like that. I had, I had it on um, early in the morning, but, but the plus 100 kilo division was the last matches of the day. And we're talking about like, you know, past noon for me. And after that, when everybody's up and stuff, I'm, I'm just done. I, 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 got, I got other things going on. Thank, thankfully it was this not, it does not happen on Super Bowl weekend. Cause I love the NFL. So, uh, but the plus hundred kilo division was won by Otku of Mongolia, who defeated Kokoruri of Azerbaijan. Again, another Azerbaijani um, in a final. It just uh, in a in a medal match. So pretty impressive there. Um, wanted to cover the medal count, despite France entering fifty five competitors, was still won by Japan, who took seven gold medals five silver medals and six bronze medals. I tell you what, there isn't a rule change. There isn't a change in format. There isn't anything that nerfs Japan. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they always win the medal counts. It's just unbelievable to me. Yeah, they just, it's their sport. So yeah. we're just playing it, you know? Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but it's just, it's always that way. And, and I, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just surprised it's been this way for over half a century, <laughs> you know, <laughs> since the invention of the International Judo Federation. It's how it's always been. It's just, it's really mm. unbelievable. Now, now France was second in terms of medal count. But in terms of overall finishes, they had um, uh, they were first place in overall top seven finishes. So they had three gold medals, one silver, seven bronze, eight fifth place finishes, and six seventh place finishes. So really, a really good uh, overall, a really good day for France. I mean, you would expect that kind of uh, success when you've got such a strong team and you're entering you know, the B and C teams of, of uh, uh, Team France, you know, 55 competitors. That's a huge turnout. So, um, so yeah, uh, any any parting thoughts on the Paris Grand Slam for you? Yeah, I, I thought that maybe these rule changes would change uh, the way judo was played in a bigger way. But, you know, looking at, Looking at this tournament and then a little bit of Portugal uh, Grand Slam or Grand Prix, uh, it it's still it's still judo, <laughs> still still what I expected. Yeah, I I think yeah exactly. I I the, you know the rule changes were were largely tweaked, but um, but it didn't it didn't negatively impact the sport uh, at this level in my opinion. You, yeah, you I'm know. liking I'm liking what I'm seeing uh, overall. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did did you watch the Olympics? I I, I assume you did. I did. Yeah, what, I, what, I watched all of it. What did, what did you? <laughs> Every think? division. I spent so much time watching. It yeah, was great. It was yeah, great. It was great. I and saw like, some wild cards through there. Yeah. Wow. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. I would like to thank Christian again for joining me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, and I know that we're going to do it again sometime soon. Uh, certainly later on this year, probably to cover the world championships. I, I enjoyed breaking down the Paris Grand Slam with somebody else. It was nice to get the, the back and forth there. Now on my next episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast, I already got it in the can. Um, I'm going to have Tabron Lee back on to discuss, uh, 
the tournament that he started, or he was one of the people that started it, the Judo Submission Grappling. It's a, it's a new tournament format being put out by USA Judo. I thought that was a really interesting discussion. I can't wait to release that. Uh, I will probably release that when I come back from my trip, uh, which will be uh, less than two weeks from now. I just still need to do some post editing and there's a there's a video review that's going to be on that episode. I'm not going to give it away just yet, but there's a video series that I've been watching over the past couple of weeks that is just it is the best judo slash grappling instructional I have ever watched in my life. So I will be sure to give a full breakdown and a full review on that, but I'm not ready to give it up just yet. So with that. Um, I will have an after party. Christian is going to join me on that after party. So that's, that's going to be fun. But, uh, as far as the regular podcast, judo related stuff, I'm going to put an end to it here. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard, stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Christian, you are the first guest to appear on the after party. So as you know, this is a part of the podcast where I talk about anything but judo. Usually it's what I'm watching on TV and stuff. Are you watching anything lately uh, at Disney Plus, on Netflix, anything that you want to cover? Uh, you know, I'm not watching really anything that's new. I'm, okay. I'm watching old old stuff. Like I'm, I'm re-watching. Uh, I grew up as a kid watching King of the Hill. Yeah, and then yeah. I had never seen, uh, like I'd seen probably an episode or two, but I had never watched Seinfeld. So I'm going through watching Seinfeld right now. Oh, are you really? Okay. Yeah, and it's great, I have to say. And yeah. uh, you know, it's a show about nothing, and it's yeah, I missed out. I, <laughs> I'm and I'm enjoying it right now. That's so. funny because I'm probably you know maybe close to twice her age. I'm at least twenty years older than you, so. So when I was in my 20s, you, you, you know, Seinfeld was was it. It was like Thursday nights. I think Seinfeld would always that was that was can't, must that was must watch TV for me before before the days of, uh, you know, DVRs. If I wanted to watch something, I would have to set it on a VCR and, and, and get my VHS tape and and watch it. If I was doing I remember those else. days, you, you do. <laughs> yeah. OK, so maybe you're yeah. not as young. How old are you? I'm 26, uh, 27 this year. You you're yeah. still. Still around. I remember the yeah, VHS. I, yeah, I guess I remember yeah, the okay. dial-up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. a I'm a younger millennial, but you know we remember. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, Seinfeld was great. Um, King of the Hill, I never really got into. I was always a a, a Beavis and Butthead guy. Um, because because that's when when I was in high school in the you know uh, late '80s through early '90s, Beavis and Butthead was that was my Mike Judge's show before King of the Hill, mm-hmm. and he based um he based the, the the King of the Hill character off of one of the characters that he created yeah. on uh, on Beavis and Butthead, uh, and he uses the same voice, uh, same voice, pretty yeah. much, yeah, 
Yeah. So um, I, I, I've seen a few episodes of King of the Hill. It just never resonated with me back back then. It was always in the in the 90s. It was the Simpsons for me. Um, Simpsons. Yeah. It, it, well, but as soon as 2000 hit, it seemed like the Simpsons went downhill for me. So I I really haven't watched the Simpsons in in over 20 years, honestly. But but that that period between 89 and, and 99 was just gold for me with the Simpsons. Um, now I'm watching a couple of shows that I've watched on Netflix. Uh, Ozark season four dropped, which was just phenomenal. Um, I'm also watching uh, the book of Boba Fett on, on Disney plus what a huge disappointment for me. I, I, I've talked about, Oh yeah. I mean, I've talked about the Mandalorian where finally, that was great. Oh, the Mandalorian. Yeah. It made space Western, you know? Oh yeah. And it made star Wars feel like a very dangerous uh, universe to be in. And here I am, I'm watching the book of Boba Fett. I think they're going to take a page out of the Mandalorian and it just feels Disney fied. Like I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for Boba Fett to shoot somebody in the head. I don't think he's killed anybody yet. Like, like, you know, the Mandalorian, when the Jawas were, were taking apart his spaceship, he was killing Jawas. Like, and, you, you know, they, and, uh, like, it's that universe is supposed to be a violent universe. Yeah, I don't need to see heads lopped off and, and blood squirting at it. Like, I don't need to see that in Star Wars, but but it's got to be a dangerous and violent place. And and this Boba Fett, I mean, he, he looks, he's like a benevolent Boba Fett. Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. You're a bounty hunter. You know, there's there's no room for for being a nice guy. It's so it's Boba Fett has been a disappointment. In fact, I've got two episodes to catch up on. It's almost like trying to trying to force myself to take my medicine. I'm 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 committed to the show. And it's like I got to watch it at at this point. Um, What else? The the latest Spider-Man movie, I'm still debating whether or not that if that's better than uh, Spider-Verse, I loved uh, oh, the yeah. last one. Spider-Verse had, I thought was the best Spider-Man movie before. Um, heck, what the heck is this one even called into the metaverse? Now I, I, I don't remember what the, the actual title title is called, but I watched the Spider-Man movie, I think on Christmas day. And it was fantastic. It was, it was just a brilliant movie. I, I'm having a tough time to try to determine whether I liked it better than Spider-Verse, but to me, it's like a tie. It, I did you see that one? I did, yeah. Or well, I've seen both of them, and the the one with with all three Spider Mans, Toby. Uh, you know, I think yeah. it was pure fan service. Uh, it was. And I was here for it. You know. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was great. I I, I loved it. They they got all the old characters, and um, you know, one thing I didn't like about the old Sam Raimi Spider Man movies is that they killed off the character. They killed off the villains. And like, you know, like in the comic books, you know, when I grew up watching or grew up reading Spider-Man and the comic books, the villains would be like, you know, shaking their fists in the air. I'll get you, Spider-Man. They'd escape. And, you you, you know, Spider-Man didn't kill them. You you know, they didn't get killed off. So I really like seeing all of those characters come back. I I thought it was really well done. Um, And I liked uh, having Doctor Strange back in, in in there. Um, I, I saw the Eternals. I, I didn't care for it all that much. I, I thought it was kind of a dud. Um, 
did you appreciate it's like a different format from like the traditional Marvel film? What I did, what I appreciated a lot was a lot of references because I've been doing a lot of reading on, on old civilizations and stuff throughout history. So I love the references to Mesopotamia and, and they, they paid some, how would I put it? A lot of the characters in, in, um, in the Eternals were not truly Mesopotamian gods that they worshiped, but they did a lot of, they, they made references to how, those civilizations did live according to their stories and such. Uh, so I thought that part was really interesting. I thought a lot of the characters that they used was interesting. It just didn't, it didn't resonate with me nearly as much as Shang-Chi, which I thought was, did you see Shang-Chi? I caught half of it on the airplane, but over what I saw, I, I really enjoyed that one. I that love good. Yeah. I love yeah. Shang-Chi a lot. Um, that was one of the best uh, Marvel movies that they've made. I, and I wasn't, I went into it not knowing who, who he was, what it was about. And I, I was very, very surprised and pleasantly surprised. It was a great movie. Um, what games are you playing as of late? Yeah, I, I think of myself as, you know, I like almost all genres. So yeah. from the first person shooter realm, you know, uh, the hardcore uh, first-person shooter Escape from Tarkov had a really big patch as of late um, that made it really good. It's it's really interesting game. Um, I I unfortunately bought the new Battlefield game, which seems to be a dud. Fingers Is crossed, it, it really? turns it into it turns into something good like Battlefield Five. But yeah, it's oh, it's a dud. See, that's funny you say that because so my go-to's right now. Um, Actually, I really have one. Well, no, two now because because I have a PlayStation 4 and one of the free games this month was UFC 4. So I, I installed that and I've been playing it a little bit. But really my go-to for the past four or five months have been Battlefield 5. I love Battlefield 5. I'm a camper. I'm a sniper. I sit there and I scope people. I spot people and I shoot people from like 400, 500 yards for meters. Yeah, I, yeah, I love, awesome. <laughs> I love headshotting people because i know what they're thinking because when it happens to me i'm like oh what the hell just happened like like when you get those headshots from like 400 meters away and if somebody's running across the field they think they're good that nobody sees them and then bam they're just dead i yeah. love that I, the battlefield five is great do you um, know the the map the the like broken down theater uh map the broken down like the movie theater or one I have, have to fight in the center. I have not played this. So, so I mainly pay, play conquest. That's, okay. that's my favorite game mode. So I'm not familiar. If that's a team deathmatch one, I usually I think stay that was a rush or the rush equivalent one. I, I rarely yeah. play. Rush. I don't, I don't like rush frustrates me. I, I don't know what it is about. Rush. I liked rush in battlefield three and four, but oh, yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me in battlefield five. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I just, I guess I love the conquest map so much um, that I, I just like getting on a, on a mountainside and, and just scoping and sniping. Mm. <laughs> so I, that's what I do. And then I get into, uh, you know, if I'm not playing a sniper, I'm, I'm playing a, uh, the assault class and blowing up tanks. That, that, mm. That's so much fun. 
but you know with the battlefield 2042 yeah yeah it's like yeah i heard these same things about battlefield 5 when it first came out and i bought battlefield 5 on sale for like a dollar when it right before 2042 came out and i was like i've been sleeping on battlefield 5 man (laughs) it's great it's a fun yeah it's a fun game it seems like with all the battlefields um they and i'm sure they do it on purpose because they're just trying to make a buck um they 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 that sounds like ea (laughs) yeah yeah exactly they they roll out crap and they they patch the hell out of it later and it ends up being a good game so by the time well, Battlefield Hardline, I, I thought sucked. I, I didn't. I didn't even pay for that. I, I played the beta and like, there's no way I'm paying for this game. Um, but Battlefield Three, Battlefield Four, they had tough rollouts. Um, I liked Battlefield One. That oh, was the, amazing game. Battlefield One was yeah. great. I, I love that game. Um, but I, I guess all of them have really bad rollouts. So I, I haven't bought Battlefield Twenty What Twenty Forty Two. Yeah, haven't bought it simply because I, I'm waiting for it to get patched and, and fixed. And, you know, I'm sure they probably got rubber banding issues and, and all this other stuff. And but, they do. Uh, <laughs> do they? Yeah. See, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. Yeah. You know, save I, I, save your, your 50 bucks. And uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to wait to buy a different game. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't buy new games anymore. Um, I think the last new game that I bought was was uh a jedi fallen order um that was the last full price game that i bought was the was um was a star wars game which was brilliant oh speaking of the star wars i'm I'm so looking forward to the uh the star wars knights of the old republic uh rpg game that they're going to remaster because that that game is probably my favorite game of all time are they are they remastering that they are yeah i had no idea yeah, I, I might. I, what for the PC only? Uh, I feel like they're going to do it for consoles too. Yeah, I I might have to I might have to get that because I bought uh, I bought um because a you know, remastered that... version of not Jedi Academy. It was uh, the one before that. I bought a remastered Jedi version. Knight. No, Jedi Knight was way before yeah. before that. You had Jedi Academy, and then um. Maybe it was Jedi. No, because see, there was dark. Not it was not Dark Forces Two Jedi Knight. That's really old. Um, but I I bought it. I bought a remastered game for the PlayStation. It's 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 it was one of my favorite Star Wars games. Um, but but I think I think the the Fallen Order was was um the best one that that they've made. Um, but Knights of the Old Republic. If they're gonna remaster that, I'm gonna I'll, I'll get that for sure. Yeah. I mean, that game was so influential to give us, you know, uh, Skyrim and uh, Fallout, you know, it, it paved the way for, yeah. for games like that, you know, yeah, in the I, RPG world. I tell you what, I wish they put out a new Skyrim game or not Skyrim. I, I wish they put out a new Elder Scrolls yeah. game. Oh, me too, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really, yeah. I've, been, I've been tempted to buy um the remastered version of skyrim again uh, me but, too I but I, i've held on money. Yeah, yeah that's how i feel that's exactly how i feel i want to i don't want to give him any more money it's like it's like i bought I, it for the xbox 360 and i'm gonna buy skyrim again in 2022 no yeah, I can't yeah. do that yeah, yeah exactly right i can't do it i can't bring myself to it uh, you know maybe if they sell it for under 10 bucks I, i'll do it but um I, I mean, I liked Oblivion better anyway, but but Skyrim has mm. been uh, Skyrim was a wonderful game too. 
the NPC interactions in Oblivion still uh, hold a special place in my heart. Yeah, 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 <laughs> amazing. They, yeah, yeah, they they they're really great. 